matter what type of cruise you take, dining is a major part of the cruise experience. Increasingly, guests have many options when it comes to shipboard dining. Almost every ship offers dining outside of the main dining room or buffet at a table service restaurant. Some may come at an extra cost, while others are exclusive to sweet guests. I'm Rick Ross. And I'm Billy Hirsch. That's today's episode of the Cruise Habit Podcast, Specialty Dining. You're about to set sail on the Cruise Habit Podcast, an audio voyage through the world of ships, ports, and beyond. Welcome aboard. You might think because we're talking about restaurants and dining, you'll get an appetizer here, but we're going to dive right into the main course of the classic cuisines you'll find on a cruise ship. The big three are French, Italian, and the American Steakhouse. Norwegian features all three of these. They've got the Bistro as a French restaurant, La Cucina as an Italian restaurant, and Cagney's as their American Steakhouse. On Royal Caribbean ships, depending on which ship, you might find an Italian restaurant by the name of Giovanni's Table or Jamie's Italian. For the American Steakhouse, they've got Chops Grill. On uh, Celebrity, they don't have an Italian restaurant, but what they do have uh, are two different kinds of French restaurants, one called Murano, and another one coming to the Celebrity Edge called Le Grand Bistro. For a steakhouse, you'll find that they've got the Fine Cut Steakhouse. Disney Cruise Line has uh, doesn't have all three of these, but they've got Remy and Paolo, uh, Remy on... Uh, two of their ships and Palo on all four, and they're all fantastic options. Not quite as cookie cutter with uh, with French and Italian cuisine, though. Holland America Pinnacle Grill can be found, I believe, on all the ships in their fleet, and Canaletto for Italian, as well as some others uh, throughout on different ships. Princess, very famous for Sabatini's Italian. Then they have the Crown Grill and Sterling Steakhouse, depending on which ship you're on. MSC, and specifically we're talking about the seaside because we, we mostly talk about North American lines here. Um, you have uh, Butcher's Cut and French Bistro to, uh, to name two that fit into those, uh, those three. Now, Billy, do you have uh, any experience or favorites with the ones that we just listed in that kind of roundabout big three? Um, you know, I would say uh, both Remy and Paulo on DCL are pretty fantastic and really stand out, even among some of the luxury lines that I've sailed, as having just fantastic mm. food and experiences. The one that surprised me the most out of those that uh, that we talked about that I've experienced would actually be the Pinnacle Grill on Holland America. I I, I don't I don't know uh, steakhouses. Um, even when I ate steak uh didn't really excite me that much but wow that that place blew me away so i think that that might take the cake uh, as partially just because of the surprise factor oh interesting uh one of my favorites that we mentioned uh is jamie's italian i thought that was a fantastic italian meal um the kind of food i really like it's not real fussy uh that one was so good that but some friends and i ate there on the second night i think of my harmony cruise and we went back a second time to that restaurant. It was such a hit with all of us. Uh, and then I have to second what you said about Paulo. Uh, I've been on Paulo, I guess, when we went on the Disney Dream. And mm -hmm. then the time I, I went on the Disney Magic before that, uh, I had a meal at Paulo that was exceptional, both in the food and the service. Yeah, Remy, uh, by the way, is, in my opinion, fantastic food, but it's more of an experience than these others, than any of these others uh, on any of the lines that we mentioned. It's a mm. commitment of uh, time, 
um, and, uh, and maybe, uh, maybe an endurance event in eating as well, but, uh, but quality. I do agree with what you said about Jamie's, by the way. Uh, I actually, I believe after dining Jamie's on Harmony said that that was one of the best meals that I'd had on any ship, uh, which is not something I expected to say on Royal Caribbean. Nothing against them, but, you know, there are just a lot of really great options out there. Now, looking back on the development of a specialty restaurant, what can you tell us about how a specialty dining venue got started in yeah. cruising. So, yeah, I, I love looking at the history of all things cruising and ocean liners. And it's interesting because traditionally in, in cruising, well, before cruising, you know, on, uh, on ocean liners, um, ocean liners, by the way, a, a series of uh, specialty restaurants on celebrity, um, but on ocean liners, much like uh, cruising today, when people think about dining, uh, when people thought about dining, it was that was included. That was part of the experience. And uh, there were some exceptions relatively early on, even though this concept of specialty dining didn't get popular until later. So in 1936, the Queen Mary, and then uh, just a couple years later, her, uh, the Queen Elizabeth in 1940, had Veranda Grill. And that was an upcharge restaurant. And then when Cunard launched another one of the queens, the QE2, in 1969, interestingly, she attempted to carry on the tradition with uh, a venue called the Grill Room. And it was an upcharge restaurant. And it was, uh, from what I can tell, it was about 75 cents uh, per person to dine there. Um, And yet, interestingly, uh, despite the concept working out in the past with, uh, with ocean liners, uh, it didn't seem to resonate with guests in the late 60s and early 70s any longer. So people just, they didn't want to pay that extra buck. They thought, you know, I, I, I paid to be here. Uh, and remember, QE2 at the time was divided into classes. So there's already multiple mm-hmm. dining venues depending on uh, where your stateroom was. And we'll get into that. So they turned that into the Princess Grill, which uh, they did that when they added some staterooms. So they had this whole uh, different bucket, uh, not just category of staterooms. And the, uh, and the grill became the Princess Grill and was then a complimentary venue for for persons staying in particular staterooms. Um, Then we didn't see, as best as I can uh, recall and find, we didn't see a whole lot happening until until really you saw NCL with freestyle dining and and Royal Caribbean with some of the mega ships, um, you know, check out our, our episode three on mega ships, the rise of the mega ship to, uh, to hear more about that. And that's where uh, freestyle, you had all these, it was all about having options and cruising your way. And then with the, the mega ships, well, they had the space to provide even more options. So while NCL initially had a couple, they had Cagney's and a couple other, like uh, they had a French restaurant, um, you know, then when you got into larger ships and people were really liking that idea of, of having these additional choices, well, lines were just able to go crazy with it. And of course, it was an opportunity to to get them some additional revenue, even though at the very beginning, they actually said that uh, it was largely, that the fee was largely to cover gratuities. Mm. Yeah, when you're talking about uh, freestyle dining on Norwegian, if you compare the sky and the sun, which are both in the same class, uh, the freestyle dining really came about with the sun. On the sky, there's like one, there's your standard restaurants and then one other restaurant. Maybe there's a second, but on the uh, and that's on the sky. On the sun, there are like eight re- different restaurants. It's really amazing how they worked the space differently on the same size ship. Yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a very good point. And I've often wondered why they didn't change that. Um, 
And and at the moment, I'm wondering why I can't remember the name of the French restaurant because it's Cagney's and then a French restaurant on uh, on Sky. They're right next to each other. Um, but uh, I often wonder why they didn't change it. However, it makes sense because now Sky alternates between three and four night sailings that um, because it's out of South Florida, because they tend to attract a lot of locals, they don't expect onboard revenue to come from specialty dining as much on those mm. sailings. Um, and it's supposed to be an all-inclusive experience so far as uh, beverages are included on Sky. So right. it, I, I can see now why they wouldn't necessarily want to go back, even though every cruise line loves additional onboard revenue. But it's, it's a very good point. Yeah, I guess uh, I could see what you're saying with the three and four night cruises, um, less of an opportunity to check out other things. People more satisfied by dining in the main dining room uh, for the three or four nights that they're on there. Yeah, I find myself doing the same thing as I'm sure you do. But uh, what's interesting now is we have um, outside of those kind of staples that that we talked about the the Italian, uh, the steakhouse, um, and, and so on. Uh, there there are some new things that we're seeing, not just individual restaurants, but new patterns. Uh, I don't know, Rick. I, I think uh, you've talked about some of the like the Japanese restaurants. Yeah, I, I would consider that the like emerging fourth class of uh, or fourth type of restaurant. This seems to be really popular across the lines, having uh, something that's sushi or teppanyaki, uh, which is the hibachi, or maybe they have both. Uh, and what uh, what my mom has said is, this is food as entertainment. And I have to agree with that. With At the hibachi, you're getting to see the meal prepared. Sushi, you get to see your meal prepared. Uh, Norwegian offers a, a teppanyaki. Uh, Royal Caribbean also offers a sushi t- and sometimes a teppanyaki, depending on the ship. Uh, celebrities got sushi available on a lot of their ships. And then I think you've seen on the sea. What have you seen on the seaside? Uh, so on seaside, they have so many dining venues and especially dining venues. And actually, the only one that I tried was the teppanyaki restaurant. And to be honest, I kind of felt like I felt with uh, a number of these venues on ships, which is that teppanyaki, to me, it's interesting. It is entertainment. As far as food quality, I've never had a bad meal at any of these, but I go, okay, yeah, I mean, you put soy sauce on stuff and it's delicious. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah. I, it's uh, I've never been blown away by any of these on ships, but I'm glad they're there because I like the variety. I like the option. Uh, on Holland America, they have uh, an Asian restaurant on a couple of their ships, I believe, Tamarind, which is not does not actually fall into this category of uh, sushi and hibachi. It's Asian fusion, and it's something that we see on others. Oceana has a red ginger, which is a great Asian fusion. And I'll tell you, uh, I really like Tamarind. I think it was maybe because it was less at risk of saying gimmicky. Uh, maybe that's why I liked uh, the the food a bit more. Um, but that's, uh, that's just one category. You know, we do see some, uh, some others as well. And that was on the new Amsterdam that you ate on Tamarind. Yes. Yeah, correct. And, uh, it, it was, I think it was our first meal. You can check out that uh, live blog over on, uh, on the site. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I recall checking out the, when you, when I knew that you were going to go on that ship, I recall checking out the menu and being pretty impressed with, uh, something that's interesting, something that and something that I might not really have access to on land. Whereas on land, if I want to go to a steakhouse, if I want to go to a hibachi like a Benihana, um, that's available to me. But Tamarind really seemed to not fit any mold that I've been into. Yeah, I would agree. Also, they have, (laughs) this is a little bit off topic, right across from that, they have a bar uh, that is kind of associated with that venue that has the best view of any uh, indoor bar on a cruise ship and nobody ever went there except to take naps uh, because they knew no one else was going to be there. <laughs> hmm. 
random random trivia about tamarind. Now, the next uh, kind of emerging cuisine or, or, I mean, this isn't really a cuisine, but a food type. Uh, I think this is more up your alley. Um, why don't you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of seafood restaurants. I shouldn't say a lot. We're, we're seeing maybe a, a bit of a trend of seafood restaurants. Um, and we've seen them before. And I think cruise lines are, it's interesting. I, I grew up in South Florida. Um, I'm used to, as, as did you, you know, seafood yeah. is nothing um, weird. But I, I hear other people, I meet other people in, in all sorts of places. And, and seafood can be rather polarizing or, you know, people can be a, a bit uh, I don't want to say fickle about seafood, but uh, cruise lines have tried to to implement seafood in restaurants before, ranging from very casual to very formal um, dining venues. And on Symphony of the Seas, a uh, brand new ship, which will be on in, uh, I, I don't know, 30-something days, I think, after this recording, um, they uh, they have hooked. And that's, a, uh, that's kind of a, a somewhat casual uh, specialty seafood restaurant. MSC has Ocean K, which uh, we didn't get a chance to experience, um, but that's uh, that's a bit more formal. Uh, I have a story about Hooked for you, and I'm not sure if I've told you this yet. Some friends of mine uh, went on the Symphony of the Seas back when it was in Europe, or I guess it still is in Europe, uh, and they were one of the first people to dine at Hooked, and they ordered the seafood tower there, and they said, way too much food, it's just an abundance, maybe an overabundance of food. Uh, and hmm. there were some Royal Caribbean staff people coming around, like surveying the diners to see what they thought. And apparently that's what Royal Caribbean's going for at Hooked is maybe just a little more food than you could really eat. Interesting. I, I wonder if the feedback that they got in other, uh, and I, I can't recall, uh, I'm sure Matt would be able to tell us from Royal Caribbean blog, when Royal Caribbean has tried seafood venues in the past, uh, something Crab Shack, I wonder if one of the points of feedback that they got was, this is great, but I feel like I just paid an upcharge for a piece of fish or something like that. Um, that's interesting. Mm. Uh, Carnival, I know, has um, seafood shack on some of their ships, and it's from what I've from what I've seen, I, I've not experienced either yet. Seems to be a somewhat similar concept to, to Hooked. You know, something that's uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you pay a bit of an upcharge, but it's it's not a really formal um, seafood experience. Yeah, the, uh, that is one of the things that I've seen. I think that's coming on the the Vista class. That's on Vista and Horizon, the seafood shack. And that's something that interests me based on what I've seen about it. I'd be surprised. Uh, I'd be surprised if we didn't see more of these. Um, in the future on, on lines trying out seafood. Uh, and, and there certainly are some, I think Holland America even does one night uh, on most sailings in one of their venues that's seafood themed. So it'd be interesting to see, but there's there's one other that uh, that's interesting to I know you and I for several different reasons um, that we've seen on <laughs> yes. ships lately, even though I, I don't eat meat and it's interesting to me. And that is uh, Brazilian steakhouses. Uh, I, oh, I know oh, you've I checked it. a couple of them I, out. I love the Brazilian steakhouse. I think uh, they're like, if you look at uh, Texas de Brazil or a Fogo de Chao kind of place on land, uh, that's a pretty steep investment for dinner. Granted, you can eat as much as you want, but the prices are, are fairly high. Uh, I, I think the Brazilian steakhouse on a cruise ship is a great illustration of the value of specialty dining because the prices tend to be lower than what they would be on land. Granted, you've maybe already paid somewhat sure. for a meal. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that really attracted me to going to Brazilian Steakhouse. Uh, if you look at my uh, escape uh, blog, uh, I ate at Moderno on Norwegian, and I thought that was uh, a terrific meal. 
And I know they're not the only ones who have tried a Brazilian steakhouse on board. Yeah, Royal Caribbean's got Samba Grill, and uh, and I think that this is something we may see more partially because uh, it, it's hard living in South Florida. It's it's maybe hard for me to feel, check the the pulse on this, but it seems like that type of restaurant is maybe a little more in vogue than uh, than it was, and it gets to what we we're talking about teppanyaki which is there's an element of entertainment. So if you're not familiar um, with this, which is another big appeal, is there are people that find this interesting that can't go, depending on where you live, you may not be able to go to a mm. Brazilian steakhouse on land. Uh, not the case with uh, yeah, Italian, French, Mexican steakhouse, et cetera. Those are pretty ubiquitous, you know, in any, any town USA. Um, but so if, you, if you've not gone to a Brazilian steakhouse, generally the way it works, they come around with large skewers of, uh, of different uh, cuts and types of meat and just carve off whatever you want. So it's a very different experience from from all these others. And I think there's uh, between the not scarcity, but people not being able to necessarily experience that on land, the the value prop because on land it tends to be more expensive and the entertainment. I'd be surprised if we didn't see more of these. Um, and And frankly, there are a number of specialty dining experiences out there that really don't focus on the, I don't want to say they don't focus on the cuisine, but they, they aren't about a specific type of uh, cuisine. Like uh, I know on Norwegian, you experienced some, uh, some dinner shows that were, were pretty impressive looking. Oh yeah. Uh, the two Norwegian uh, crews that I took uh, last December went to the the dinner show uh, that, that was available on each ship on the Epic. There was a, a show in what they call the Spiegel tent. And that was like a, uh, Cirque du Soleil kind of experience where there are acrobats in the middle uh, and you're served a fixed menu. Uh, that was the only thing that I maybe didn't like about it was the menu was fixed. Everyone's getting the same uh, unless you have an allergy or something like that. Um, everyone's getting the same um, meal. Everyone, everyone's getting the same appetizer. Everyone's getting the same entree. Everyone's getting the same dessert. Uh, I also got to see a theater show on escape and that was some singers uh, that were singing medleys of uh, uh, some classic song and a more modern pop song and a, a mashup. But the the show that has been going on in the theater on Escape varies from sailing to sailing. So that is kind of an interesting thing that it's never really the same thing if you go on two different cruises there. That, that's a cool concept. I've, I've not yet experienced anything like that to the best of my recollection, um, but I look forward to it. And in fact, we will get to see... Uh, this something like this very soon on Celebrity Edge. Um, what's our countdown on that? Uh, Rick and I are both going to be sailing on Edge, so make sure you guys follow along at cruisehabit.com. We'll be all over social media because Edge is, we're going to be on her, uh, on one of her very first sailings, but Eden is a venue uh, that is, it's a multi-purpose venue that offers a, a show that, <laughs> based on renderings and what they've told us about it, seems like something that we're not likely to experience anywhere else. Yeah, I'm I'm really not sure what to say Eden is. I'm not sure what it's going to be. Um, mysterious, different. Um, I've seen a sample menu and it looks like for every course you've got two choices and it's like a five or six course meal. Um, that one's priced right now at, I believe, $65. And uh, I've got that booked for the second night of the cruise. So I'm very interested in trying that, seeing what that's about. Yeah, it, it looks cool. And, and frankly, I think some of the unknown is with regard to the entertainment, and the entertainment, by the way, parts of it are happening all around you. And then I think other parts of it happen on a stage as you maybe go into a different area for dessert or I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I almost think they're trying right. to be mysterious about this, um, which is kind of 
what Celebrity has done with a number of entertainment things um, ever since they started writing their own stage shows a couple years ago. Uh, very mysterious kind of stuff. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. And in addition to that entertainment going on all around, um, the the courses that you're served, the 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 food items that you're served are somewhat uh, unique as and, and innovative as well, which is another theme that we're seeing in specialty dining, especially over the last few years. Um, I know. Uh, Royal Caribbean, for example, has Wonderland, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's on uh, Harmony Symphony and Anthem, if I recall. They're, it doesn't seem like they're adding it to any additional ships at this point, uh, maybe on Spectrum, uh, but not exactly in the same way. Do you know anything about that? Um, yeah, I was surprised to not see it added to Mariner, but then again, with Mariner being a three-night, four-night sailings, maybe they think... Um, that's maybe more than people would do in that amount of time. Whereas the ships that it is on are, are seven night or more uh, sailings. Um, I've dined there on Harmony, thought it was terrific. Um, I'm not sure it has high repeatability, but it was a very interesting one meal experience. Uh, I agree. Uh, I've told people that it's a, for me personally, Wonderland is a one and done, not in a bad way. I wasn't blown away with the food. I enjoyed my meal and it tasted good. But I didn't think it was anything spectacular. It was just such a unique experience that I'm glad that I experienced it. Um, this time, uh, when when we're on Symphony in just a, a little over a month here, I'll be going again. And that's because uh, uh, Larissa, my, my spouse, will be with me. And she's not enjoyed it before. So I, I want her to experience it. If it wasn't for that, I don't think I would do it again. But I encourage everyone to do it at least once. And don't think uh, I've heard a lot of people apprehensive with these type of experiences about, oh, I think the food's going to be weird. Listen, it's subjective, but not. It may look different than you're used to, but it's 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 food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that is central to the Wonderland experience is that the food maybe doesn't look like what you are eating, or there's um, an elaborate presentation to maybe just a two two or three bites of food. Like one of the desserts they have is called the Globe or the World or something like that, uh, and it's a a chocolate ball hollow with something inside and then like a caramel sauce is poured on top that causes the chocolate to melt. Um, so it, every course is, has some kind of element like that uh, to it. And to, to answer your question about will Wonderland be on the spectrum, uh, looking at the deck plans, there will be a Wonderland, but it they're adding a tagline with a, a Chinese chef's name. Um, so Spectrum is due for the, the um, Asian Australian market and I think they're putting a little bit of a twist on what they've been doing for that market. So that'll be interesting to see exactly how is Wonderland different for that for the Asian market. I was waiting for you to tell me it, it's going to be Wonderland, but they're going to put it at the pool. Just try something totally different. No, <laughs> um, no it's it's the same space as far as I can tell, but mm, different menu, possibly, possibly. So something that um, you mentioned the food doesn't necessarily look like it tastes. Uh, with with Wonderland um, and on Celebrity, you and you got to enjoy uh, cuisine, which seems similar and yet different. And, and tell me if I'm because I've not yet experienced cuisine. From what I saw, it seems like maybe uh, deconstruction is more of a thing in cuisine than it just in looking different. Um, I, I'm not sure uh, deconstruction would be the right word. I would say whimsy. 
so instead of having a plate of sushi, uh, you get like a stand where the sushi has been turned into lollipops. So every piece of sushi is on a stick rather than flat on a plate. Um, they have one that's called like M's favorites that is brought out in something that is a cross between maybe a briefcase or a drawer set upright. And then you get two, three bites of something in each slot in this drawer. Um, so it's not, it, the presentation is whimsical, I okay, would say, interesting. but not, not fantasy, which is what Wonderland, Wonderland is. is. That, that's interesting. As you're describing that, uh, and this will be, I'm sure the first of many cruise have Mitch Hedberg references. Uh, I couldn't help but think of Mitch Hedberg talking about mini bars, having items that you couldn't possibly replace like Coke in a glass harmonica. Uh, right. <laughs> so, um, so keep, uh, keeping with celebrity for a moment, there's something that I don't remember. I think you're going to experience this before I am maybe on edge. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got this uh, this Le Petit Chef dining experience booked for the third night of our um, Edge cruise. And th this is another one of the food as entertainment. In fact, this is maybe the most food as entertainment thing I have seen yet. Um, they've partnered with uh, a company called Skull Mapping, where they'll do some pr projections onto the table and a cartoon chef will paint or somehow prepare on a blank plate what you are about to be served and then at the conclusion of the painting you will get that plate served to you that's, that's as much as i can tell from having seen it <laughs> yeah this goes with the celebrity mystery stuff again excited to see it uh looking at some of the other stuff skull mapping has done some art things you know, like augmented reality art uh installations and, and such really cool stuff so we'll we'll see uh Stay tuned because we got lots of edge stuff coming up. So we'll, yeah. we'll tell you all about that as soon as we figure out what it is. Um. <laughs> right, right. I'm not exactly sure what I'll be doing when I'm there, but I'm really excited to check it out and see what they have to put in front of me. Uh, they're going to bring that uh, Le Petit Chef to the cuisines on the uh, Millennium and Solstice class ships as they go through the Celebrity Revolution. Edge is not going to have a cuisine, so that one is going to be at Le Grand Bistro. And I think if you book the presidential suite, then you get uh, you get that experience right in your stateroom. They bring you an augmented reality dinner experience. No, that's not a thing. No. Okay. I'm being told that's not I, a thing at all. Um, I <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. Uh, if you're paying that kind of money for a presidential suite, I, I think you should get a lot. I, I agree. Um, so uh, rounding out the innovative dining, uh, Food Republic is um, a venue on NCL that I did not get to try out when I was on board. And, and I was kind of bummed because it looks interesting. But uh, were you able to check that out? Yeah, when I was on the escape, uh, and you can read a little bit about this in the live blog that I did there, I, I was able to go to Food Republic. Uh, it's a lot of it's like a tapas restaurant, uh, so everything's small plates, and the ordering is done on an iPad. So you could order as you want, or you could put in your full order and then just see the order that things are brought out to you in. Hmm. Um, some hits, uh, some misses, but there nothing is a lot of one thing. So you can try a lot. That one, um, yeah, I would say worth a shot, but not everything is a hit on the menu. Well, that's the nice thing about small plates. Um, so, uh, so, so that's the, the we talked about some of the more innovative uh, spaces. Another, and there's there's certainly crossover with a lot of these on the Venn diagram of specialty dining venues. But celebrity chefs have been used. Uh, 
I mean, let's be honest, by marketing teams for, for cruise lines, right? To create uh, restaurants, create venues that they can get some attention and, and kind of um, some immediate clout if you have a good celebrity chef name to attach. Not that these chefs aren't involved with creating these things and, and it, the results can um, can be impressive. Uh, I'll also say that, and I've seen this happen on multiple lines owned by multiple companies in multiple parts of the market. Often these celebrity chef deals start out with a celebrity chef they get traction with the dining venue, and then they cruise lines go. Uh, we don't really need to renew that expensive contract with uh, with somebody. Um, but it's mm. it, it's still it's something that's been happening for for many years. And uh, you, both Rick and I were speaking about Jamie's Italian, uh, and that's by Jamie Oliver. Again, one of the the best meals I've had on a ship. Um, and I, I think uh, Rick said the same. Um, so that's yeah. You know, oh, agreed. Agreed. It's um, even if they were to take that association oh, sorry, away, it wouldn't change. No, that's okay. You know, even if they were to take that association away, uh, I, I don't suspect that uh, the contract stipulates they have to uh, make the food not as good. So <laughs> it's okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I would say if you look at Jamie, uh, Jamie's Italian, it definitely has that guy's signature on it, from the uniforms to the decor to the food. Uh, I'm no doubt he was involved in every step of that. Yeah, there's even a storyline about the furniture in there and how it, something about a his mother's or grandmother's kitchen, or I don't remember. Uh, somebody will correct mm. me angrily. It's podcast at uh, cruisehabit.com. <laughs> yeah, sure. Send us send us an email. Uh, on Norwegian's Breakaway class, they've partnered with a variety of celebrity chefs, and this is the kind of relationship I thought was interesting. Depending on which ship it is in the same space, they may have a different celebrity chef restaurant. Uh, on the Escape that I went on, uh, it's uh, Bayamo is the kind of sit-down restaurant, and then they have a tapas bar next door uh, that's called Pinchos, and that's by a chef named Jose Garces. This was an exceptional meal. I, I had a really good time there, a really good dinner, really good dessert. I was very happy with that. Uh, on another ship, I think it may be either the Getaway or the Breakaway, uh, it's uh, Jeffrey Zakarian. Uh, who's really well known for his seafood dishes, and it's a more seafood-themed restaurant. Uh, yeah, and the uh, the celebrity chef doesn't inherently mean that there's a really high-end venue. Um, it, it can be casual dining. So Carnival, for example, has Guy's Burgers, which is consistently, in guest surveys, one of the most loved venues on their ships. And that's why when, uh, when Carnival did their Funship 2.0 renovations, they, they added Guy's Burgers uh, by Guy Fieri to a number, if not most of their ships, actually. And, uh, and now I think they're actually, uh, I think Guy Fieri, was Guy Fieri involved with the, the barbecue venue on Vista as well? Yes. Yeah, um, that was uh, something, yeah, I said we, didn't, we didn't put in our, our notes here. But yeah, he is also working with the barbecue um, mayor of Flavortown, Regardless of what you may think of him <laughs> in uh, and his cuisine, it is a hit with the public. Uh, people love Guy's Burgers, and they love the barbecue joint. And, and frankly, while I've not eaten there, again, I, I don't generally eat meat. I'll try stuff. But uh, I was really excited by seeing that venue on Vista because— I've not really ever been impressed by barbecue on a ship or on an out island uh, for a cruise line. Mm. Um, it all seems very generic and mass produced. I was looking at what they were doing and some of the options that they had. It's a, is it, uh, 
I'm going to remember the name of this venue as soon as we stop uh, recording, I'm sure. But <laughs> very cool on uh, on Vista. So he's involved with that. On the opposite end of the Guy Fieri spectrum, however, um, <laughs> there are some uh, some venues that even have um, Michelin-rated uh, uh, chefs. So we talked about DCL, and Remy is their highest-end venue, I think, I don't know if the prices increased, but it used to be like $75 a person for, for dinner there. And that, that didn't even include oh, yeah. uh, the wine pairing. Um, worth every dime. Really great experience. But they actually have two prefix menus there. And one menu is done by uh, Chef Scott Hunnell from Victorian Alberts, which is a very nice high-end restaurant in Walt Disney World. And uh, and the other is Chef uh, Maud. I'll let Rick pronounce it wrong um, from a restaurant that I, I can't pronounce French. in French. <laughs> let me call in Larissa. Hang on. Um, right. it, it's it's rare that we could ever call Matt Hotchberg for uh, assistance pronouncing a restaurant name, but uh, this would be a good time. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. it's, I'll say uh, Arnaud Lallemont. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. Um, All right. From a, a, a restaurant in France that actually has two Michelin stars. So that's, that's not nothing in in the world of uh of high-end dining and and kind of foodies that that's not nothing so we expect we'll see more of these uh the celebrity chefs again it's for for the marketing teams alone it's great and it they get to springboard with a fantastically created menu um, a lot of the time so it's a it's a pretty cool thing um and with uh, with chefs it's um Speaking of chefs, I'm just trying to build a segue where there really isn't one here. Uh, watch me force this. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, ships will have a chef's table venue, um, mm-hmm. and this may not be in a restaurant with a celebrity chef, uh, chef, or or it might be. And this can be just a dedicated table in a restaurant, like uh, I think uh, 150 Central Park, if I recall, and Royal Caribbean has this, or it can be a completely separate venue. Um, there's a chef's table on Vista, which uh, if you look at the deck plans, if someone has ever found it, let me know, because it seems that it doesn't have a door based on the deck plans. I wasn't able to find it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've wondered. I've seen that on a couple of different deck plans, and I wonder if like they really take you through the kitchen, maybe, to go sit in this room? I know I that know. in some ships they actually do. So I suspect in the case of uh, Vista, that's exactly it. So they just don't, you know, it's not mm-hmm. a public door, so they don't show it. But that can be an interesting way to have a, a unique experience, especially because some of them have a very limited number of seats. So you can book a group, you know, if you're traveling with, uh, you know, more than just a couple people, you can try and, and book this for your entire group. It can be a really neat and special uh, experience um, there. Have you ever done something like this, a, a chef's table on a cruise ship? Um, I have not. I have not. I, I've I've seen it done. I'm. I, yeah. I not not that I recall. Um. I I'd, I'd be receptive to it. Um. And maybe. Uh. I don't know. Maybe we'll see if we can get that on a, a future sailing. We just got to find some people to go with. Yeah. So that. Uh, I, I don't want to have to talk to strangers, no. Rick. I I I understand how you are, Billy. Uh, <laughs> I did talk to uh, someone on the Mariner of the Seas when I was recently on it, and he he typically sells Carnival, and he said that the Carnival chef's table is hands down best meal he's ever had on a ship. I think he said the price when he did it was eighty five dollars or something like that, and he said the number of courses was around twelve to fifteen. Mm. So that is a large investment in labor to put out that kind of, of no meal kidding. for just a handful of like maybe eight to 12 people. I had that many courses. I'm not sure my brain's able to uh, 
properly uh, divide up how much I should be eating with each course so that I don't just explode by course seven. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, oh, well, I don't I know if I can like you get I'm responsible two bites or something like that. Each oh, that course didn't stop is, me from know. feeling miserable at the end of Remy once. Uh, but yes, wow. <laughs> maybe it's because I was leaning was over the, the table next to me. When we <laughs> was that the brunch when we were on um, the Disney Dream back in I don't know was that 2015, 2014? Um, I've done brunch in remy but uh it was dinner where uh, one of the couple times we did it i really really went overboard i just remember getting the cheese course and uh suddenly reconsidering faith um it was mm. it was a rough time <laughs> but a, but a great experience um uh, well, you, uh one of the chef's tables experiences that you mentioned was 150 central park and that's that's a restaurant that i'd say is hard to categorize and there are a few others that i i would say are are specialty restaurants, but uh, they're not the big three. They're not French Italian uh, steakhouse. They're not a Brazilian steakhouse. And 150 Central Park would be, I guess, kind of like an American cosmopolitan kind of a restaurant you might maybe find in Manhattan. Um, maybe near Central I, Park. Maybe near Central Park. It is in the Central Park venue uh, neighborhood. area, I guess, of the um, neighborhood. Thank you. That's what they call it. The neighborhood on the uh, Oasis class ships. Um, have you dined there? Uh, <laughs> I did not dine there, but a certain friend of mine who shall remain unnamed may have uh, batted her eyes and slipped a $20 bill to someone to get dessert there uh, one time to, to take away, which mm-hmm. is not really something that you can do. Uh, and I had some of the dessert and that was delightful. Um, I, I've, I've been, uh, I've been tongue lashed by several people for not trying 150 central parks. There, there are a lot of people say it is just a fantastic venue. So I think that'll be on the agenda. Uh, I, I have dined there. I dined there on the harmony of the seas when I went, um, for the other three people I was with very much what they were looking for for me. Um, I'd call it fussy. Uh, uh, I, I appreciate that chefs can cut carrots into perfect cubes, but that does not mean a lot to me. Um, the, I, I felt like our waiter, uh, I think I made a joke and our waiter just kind of like looked at me and nodded, uh, ah, humor. <laughs> instead yes. Of, instead of laughing. Um, the, that said the specialty cocktail that they offer at the beginning of the meal, which is some kind of like cucumber cosmopolitan or something like that, that was outstanding. Uh, and yeah, dessert also outstanding. The meal in between, a touch fussy. Hmm, interesting. So uh, another Royal Caribbean uh, specialty venue, very different than 150 Central Park, is Sabor, and they actually I've never heard this. of this before. What is Sabor? I've never heard of Sabor. Never ever. I've never heard our friend Matt mention this. It is a uh, a Mexican venue that I personally really enjoy. However, and we're going to get into this in a moment. Uh, it used to be. On some ships, a la carte. On others, there was a cover, and then it went to a cover charge on all ships. And I actually really liked it when it was a la carte because they had a lot of um, smaller appetizers and things that it was really great to go and, and just grab something. And I've, I found the value prop pretty fantastic. But uh, I enjoy Sabor, and uh, it is actually not on Symphony. So uh, so be weird for me in a, in a month. Yeah, I think uh, instead of uh, Sabor, they put Playmakers in what was that space or something like that. And then they're going to have some kind of fresh mechs on on an upper deck. Yeah, and uh, Royal Caribbean has experimented with a number of different um, Mexican venues before. 
uh, Rita's Cantina, now Fresh Max and, uh, and Sabor. So uh, looking forward to seeing how that works out. And, you know, they're always tweaking uh, and changing, uh, changing that up. Uh, another that kind of doesn't maybe fit really into any of these, these paradigms, you talked about Food Republic. Um, mm -hmm. earlier, it seems like what's unique there is just, you can get a wide variety because they're small plates and maybe how you order it is kind of a unique experience. And then yeah, it'd uh, be hard to categorize the cuisine as being any particular kind of cuisine. If there's, I mean, there was like a pumpkin butternut squash ravioli, but also a, um, a tuna tartare pizza. Now, I guess both of those kind of sound Italian, but then there were also tons of things that were not remotely Italian. It was very much a, an international of uh, international food court, everything thrown into one bucket. I get the idea that that's kind of what they're going for too, is to represent a lot of different cuisines in one uh, at Food Republic. So uh, in addition, you have something, uh, we keep talking about Edge because you know what, there's a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, the Rooftop Garden Grill on Edge. And this is, uh, now Rick, you were on Reflection uh, about what, a year yes. and change ago, which is a solstice yeah. class ship. And Reflection, uh, or all the Solstice class ships, have the Lawn Club. Well, the Lawn Club is this grassy area that was neat, and on different ships they used it for different, they put different venues next to it. But I, I don't know that it was, um, I don't know that there was a lot of utility to it. Uh, so on Edge, they have this rooftop garden grill, and it looks, well, like a rooftop. And there are actual plants all around, something that you don't see a whole lot on ships. Um, now, ask me about the cuisine there. Uh, I, I actually, you know what, <laughs> as it seemed like it was kind of casual fare, but maybe, uh, maybe in an upscale way, does that seem right to you? Uh, yeah, it, there is going to be barbecue on the menu. And I think that is really how they're, that's how they're framing it. But there were also some flatbreads, uh, some other general appetizers. Um, I'm curious to see how this venue plays out. Um, because the cover charge for this one is $45 and the cover charges on celebrity are kind of are steeper than on other lines. Um, but I declined booking this one because I really didn't see getting the value out of the $45 based on the menu. Um, I think to not have another option that was complimentary with a totally different menu than what is given in the other dining rooms would have been a better way to go. We may see that in the future. Yeah. I'm interested to see what they do with the space during non meal times because the venue looks really cool. But I remember, I think you were actually over at uh, Cruise Habit headquarters and we we're both looking at the menu. And I looked at the menu and went, I, I don't see the value here. Um, and others mm -hmm. may, and, and that's great. I, I hope others do. Um, but I was more interested in the venue than the food. So we'll see, is that area accessible? Will they have, you know, oftentimes uh, complimentary breakfast or things like that in these venues? Well, um, I think think you are merging the rooftop garden grill with the whole rooftop garden area and those are two separate things they're in the same place but there will be an area accessible that is not the restaurant so we'll be able to go up there and hang out without going to the restaurant oh, we were going to hang out fences could not keep us from hanging out but uh, <laughs> yeah i just meant you know if like I said if they end up maybe serving you know breakfast there whether it's complimentary or you know a la carte pastries something like how do you how do you utilize such a cool space um like that you want to use every inch of it even though there's other parts of the the rooftop uh, it's speculative and it may very well be that that celebrity doesn't know at this point yeah, that's the thing. This uh, the whole edge 
concept is so totally new that this may be an instance of throwing something at the wall to see if it sticks. And my suspicion is that menu at that price point, I don't, I don't think that's going to stick. It doesn't for me. Uh, I'm excited about a lot of things on edge. Um, eating at that restaurant is not one of them. Fair enough. So, uh, price point, we should probably get into something that applies to really all of these. Cause it's, it's part of what frequently though, not necessarily defines specialty dining. And that is, you got to pony up some cash for, for some of these and, and it can work in a number of, uh, different ways. And, uh, you know, uh, in the case of rooftop garden grill, you said it's uh, $45. There's a cover, but it's not always a cover, is it? No, on, on Norwegian. And I was surprised to find this when, um, I sailed on the escape, uh, the different specialty restaurants have different pricing structures. So if you want to dine a la carte, uh, the French and Italian restaurant are priced a la carte. Whereas uh, the teppanyaki, um, I think Cagney's and um, the Brazilian steakhouse, uh, Moderno, those are priced with a cover charge. It's It seems like for the most part, there are cover charges across cruise lines for these, though it's not unusual at this point to see these, these a la carte offerings. And what we've seen in both specialty venues and even the main dining rooms now is that there are some specific items that may come in additional, an additional charge. Excuse me. So maybe mm-hmm. you paid your $30 cover for a particular venue, but if you want this particular cut of meat, maybe it's a couple dollars more. For it's a complimentary venue, but if you want this, if you want the lobster, it's a couple dollars more. So there can be that kind of hybrid as well. And regardless of what type of venue, um, there, there are some lines offering packages that will um, help you manage and, and potentially reduce the cost depending on where you choose to dine. Uh, drink packages, people talk about those all the time, but specialty dining packages, that's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Uh, Royal Caribbean and NCL especially. Um, did you do one of these on NCL? Uh, I've done a, a specialty dining package on both Royal Caribbean and on um, the Escape. Yeah, that was my one feet of, are on the uh, desk. I, Tell us all about them. Okay. <laughs> well, um, since Royal Caribbean's mostly um, co- flat rate cover charges, uh, I thought it worked better there. On Norwegian, uh, Bayamo is a la carte. Food Republic is a la carte. Um, so I was never really sure if I should use the specialty dining plan or if I should maybe pay that one a la carte and or out of out of pocket rather and then save the plan for another time. Sometimes uh, the specialty dining package will pay for the entire cover charge. Sometimes it pays for part of the cover charge and then there's something you have to pay out of pocket on top. Uh, and then on some other occasions, and I know this is how the Royal, the Royal Caribbean dining package works at a restaurant like Azumi where, um, where that is priced a la carte, you get a food allowance. Like you're able to spend $30 or something like that or 35 and you've, you spent less than that on the dining package itself. Yet, uh, there's a level of strategy that could certainly go into that in some cases, which I don't know if most people want that out of their uh, cruise vacation, but, uh, you know, for some people, these are just making it easier and, and there can be considerable savings depending on where you end up dining with these, uh, with these specialty packages. Um, yeah, I will say that, uh, one thing that is interesting difference between Royal Caribbean and Norwegian is the dining package on Norwegian does cover the teppanyaki restaurant. The dining package on Royal Caribbean does not cover their Teppanaki restaurant. Interesting. 
Not even a discount or anything? Uh, I've, I've heard stories of people being allowed to use it when the ship was maybe not so full or the teppanyaki was not so popular. But according to the fine print, um, nope, it, hmm. the Royal Caribbean dining package doesn't work at the teppanyaki. That's interesting. I wonder if it, yeah, purely speculative. I'm wondering if, you know, there, there are only so many seats around a, a, a bocce, you know, a bocce table grill thingy, um, <laughs> you know, if, if maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I would say it's it's probably the math of if you can get people to pay full price, why not? But if you're not going to be able to get someone to pay full price for that seat, get it, giving someone that seat at a discount is better than not having someone sit there at all. And we do see uh, some lines more than others, Royal Caribbean being an extreme example of this, giving a lot of leeway to the onboard revenue management team and restaurant managers uh, to adjust bend rules as uh, as they see fit, depending on demand for a particular venue on a particular night or, or on a given sailing. So it may just come into play there. there uh, now, we've talked about a lot of the restaurants that are available to everybody, and anybody can go there, just make a reservation. But some cruise lines have dining rooms uh, that are for specific types of, I guess, uh, specific classes of room or suites. Yeah, and this is something that's been around for a long time. But where you might uh, be familiar with it now would be uh, Blue, Lemonade, uh, Yacht Club, Coastal Kitchen. Um, it's it's becoming more and more popular now that you have this ship and a ship thing happening on, on so many lines. MSC uh, and, and Norwegian have really driven that experience, but you, you have it on others uh, as well. And, you know, I mentioned Celebrity Royal Caribbean, for example, where if you're booked in suites or certain categories of cabins, there may be venues that are complimentary to you. But I personally, I still consider them specialty because... It's not, um, one, you can still go to the main dining room. This is just a place that you have an option of going to, and you have that option because of where you book. So there is that there is a barrier of sorts that uh, that you're able to overcome. Sometimes that barrier is paying someone. In this case, the barrier is just, well, you paid, but <laughs> in a different way. Um, and and this, uh, as I mentioned, it's been around for a long time. Cunard, uh, and even you go back to White Star, you go back to, uh, ocean liner companies uh, from from many many years ago they had classes and there was a first class dining room and a, a tourist class dining room and a steerage dining hall Cunard uh, still does this with the grill restaurants uh, queen's grill princess grill and then they have uh, mauritania britannia the different restaurants and it uh, it's an interesting thing and with uh with Cunard, i know I'm, I'm not sure how flexible they are with this these days, but traditionally you could always go, uh, you could ask and if there was space, you could go down, but not up, which is again, why it makes me think kind of specialty dining in that way. Um, there are, there are others. And I don't know, Rick, if you've run into any of these where it's not about paying extra. It's not about what stateroom you've booked in. There are specialty dining restaurants and they simply limit how frequently you can go because everyone wants to go because they're great. Um, have, have you, have you seen these before? Um, I, I, seeing what you've got written down here, I have not experienced something like that exactly, but the Shanghai restaurant on the Norwegian Epic, uh, that was reservation only had a different diet, uh, different menu from the main dining room. So maybe you could consider that a capacity limited specialty dining venue. 
Uh, one of the observations that um, one of my table mates made at, when we were in Shanghai was that um, there were still empty seats in the restaurant, even though they were turning people away. So that may have been more of a limitation of what the kitchen could turn out um, for that night rather than the number of people that could be seated there. But in either case, there was definitely a limitation. Uh, we stopped by one night and asked if we could get it to, uh, get seated that night, uh, told by the maitre d' that no, that, that night was full, but she could make us a reservation for the next night. Interesting. I, I didn't realize they did it that way. So same uh, same parent company, uh, not uh, not related, I'm sure, but Oceana does this with their specialty restaurants where um, Red Ginger, Jacques, uh, Polo Grill, and Toscana. There's no charge. Any guest can dine in those venues. However, you're limited. You're only guaranteed a certain number of nights. So, for example, if it's a 10-night cruise, you might be guaranteed one visit in each of those. Or I don't remember exactly how the policies work. Um, however, hmm. if, you, if you're in a penthouse suite, they might guarantee you two nights. And if there's space, they'll absolutely let you in more. Um, but they want to make sure that because these, these restaurants are very desirable, that everyone has an opportunity to go at least once. So it's an interesting way of handling it. In fact, when uh, Queen Mary 2, QM2 came out um, a number of years ago, Todd English, we talked about celebrity chef restaurants, the, uh, Todd English had a restaurant on board QM2, and it was, um, there, there was no upcharge for it. However, it was incredibly popular. So eventually, because they, they didn't even have the capacity to necessarily guarantee everyone a spot, they ended up charging, they started charging a cover just to control the capacity uh, or control the, the flow and, and make it so the restaurant wasn't overwhelmed. And, and that's an interesting, um, it's an interesting way to handle that, uh, that challenge. Uh, hearing you say that, Makes me wonder if uh, maybe that's celebrities thinking with the rooftop garden grill, like uh, the, the a $45 price point uh, is somewhat dissuading to people that would want to eat there. And so maybe I, I think I saw on the floor plan there are only 64 seats in the restaurant. Um, so, yeah, that may be a reason that they that the the cover charge is so high. It's a good point, and it makes me, this is so speculative, but I'm going to say it anyway, it makes me wonder if uh, they'd apply like um, a variable rate, like what uh, toll lanes do in, in some places, uh, mm -hmm. you know, express mm -hmm. lanes, um, because you're right, it is not a large venue, and if they can get money and control the crowds, well, you know, I, I, in a way, everyone wins. Um, so beyond these, you know, talking about some of these restaurants and, and golly, I know we've gone on for a long time. This episode's definitely going long, but, uh, beyond the, the individual restaurants of which we've only mentioned a small portion, frankly, um, and there are, seems like more every time a ship is refurbed or built, there are some other considerations. Um, so one of them being Rick, you'd mentioned, uh, where did you say you had a really great drink? Was it 150 central park? Yes. Yes, so, that was where I had the fantastic cocktail at the beginning of the meal. So a lot of these specialty venues have, uh, specialty dining restaurants, have really great uh, bars and some exclusive cocktails. Sometimes that uh, other bars, not only is it not on the menu, but they don't even have the ingredients. Let them be uh, specific uh, spirits or garnishes or whatever the case may be. They just can't make them in other places. But what's really neat is more time, more often than not, you can go to these bars that these uh, specialty dining venues have or, or uh, 
or uh, extra, extra tariff restaurants, depending on uh, which <laughs> which side of the pond you're you're listening to us on. Um, and you can just head to the bar. That's really cool uh, because Wonderland, for example, I liked the drinks there more than I liked the food, and that's a very popular bar. Mm-hmm. And I think not a lot of people would know walking by Wonderland that you can. Uh, and I'll take the the Harmony uh, as an example. It's two levels. The mm-hmm. bar is right when you walk in, and then there's a staircase you go down to eat in the dining room. Um, but you can walk into the bar and sit at the bar there. They have like eight, ten bar stools there. Have a drink. Um, so that that is worth checking out if you decide you don't want to go to the specialty restaurant, but they may have a a menu, uh, a drink menu that you're interested in. Uh, I remember on the Epic, the Prime Meridian Bar, or maybe this was the Escape, the Prime Meridian Bar between the Cagney Steakhouse and Moderno Brazilian Steakhouse drink menu from both restaurants available at that prime meridian bar uh yeah on uh, dcl and funny enough unless i'm remembering it wrong is it also called the meridian bar uh on, yeah, that uh, one's called uh, meridian yeah between paulo yeah. and remy yep and and same thing they, they have some exclusive cocktails uh to the specialty restaurants that you can get at the meridian bar which is a great bar and has i don't know if they still have it they had a a strawberry vodka martini thing that sounded it had like balsamic vinegar in it sounded terrible oh, yeah. and was yeah, yeah. delightful um so yeah definitely check that, that was out good. it gives you the opportunity to go in explore the venue uh you know maybe check out the menu as you're sipping a drink and i'm not saying that i would depend that i would uh, expect this to happen but you never know maybe you get an invite and they say you know what i tell you what if you come by later uh, you know you and your your guests can come for the price of one. I've seen that type of thing happen. Never never hurts to gab a little bit. Another way that you can get uh, maybe a lower price is to check out the specialty um, venue for lunch. Uh, that uh, I remember at Jamie's Italian on C days they were open for lunch, and I think there were just maybe one or two entree items that weren't available. But if you want that meat plank or that veggie plank or any of the appetizers, those are all there. Uh, the One of the items that is missing from the lunch menu is the lamb scotadita, which is my go-to dish at Jamie's Italian. Um, so check that out. Compare. Make sure if what's offered for lunch is what you want, you might be able to get it for 10 20 bucks less. Yeah, and uh, similarly, embarkation day is very frequently the least busy time for specialty restaurants on on any cruise ship. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there are deals, sometimes after advertised, for uh, where you can get the same meal at a lower price. Other times, just asking, you walk by and there's nobody there. Eh, see what happens. Uh, always worth a shot. Maybe maybe they throw a drink in or something. So you can always ask about that type of thing and make sure if you um, if you've been on the line before. Uh, whatever cruise line, so you're part of their loyalty program, or if you maybe got some perks from your travel agent, or there's some other incentive from the cruise line, make sure you know about those, remember those, take note of those, because often, uh, in, in fact, more and more, cruise lines will add these incentives to try and route people and get people to try certain specialty dining restaurants so that they go back and so that they recommend them to friends. So for example, uh, right now, um, I know, uh, some of our, our friends over at MEI, they have had a deal where if you booked certain b- uh, balcony rooms, you got like, a, I think, Johnny Rockets or something else. And that's that's not an uncommon thing. But what is really, really common, more than any of these perks, uh, whether it's through loyalty or through your travel agent or whatever, is that people forget to use them. 
So mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to, and, and, and I've done that before. I'm, I'm guilty of it. So make sure that you remember that. Take advantage. Call, you know, make a reservation when you get on board. If you do have one of these, because no reason not to try out a specialty restaurant, especially if it's uh, complimentary in this particular case. Uh, I think coming to the end of our, our discussion of specialty restaurants, if you're interested in hearing our reading, rather, our reviews of any of the specialty restaurants we've dined at, uh, we mentioned them on our live blogs of The Seaside, um, The Escape, The Reflection. Check out our live blogs for those assessments, I guess, of the specialty restaurants. And then, Billy, you've got a, an article on the good old days of cruising. Yeah, so in addition to where you can find out uh, currently and recently the specialty dining venues we've enjoyed, because pretty much I think any time that either of us go on a cruise, we at least check out you know one specialty venue. Mm-hmm. So in addition to those live blogs, I've got an article on the good old days of cruising, and it really calls into question. Uh, it, it's easy for for myself or for others, maybe on certain cruise websites that are uh, that have names that are alliterations, um, <laughs> that they they talk about oh the way things used to be, and. Uh, in that article, I actually dig in and say, you know what, actually, sure, some things we might miss, but we have it pretty good now. And specialty dining is a huge part of that in my mind because it represents options, not nickel and diming in my mind. It represents being given additional options that we never had. So uh, check out the Good Old Days of Cruising article as well. We'll link to some of those live blogs as well as the Good Old Days of Cruising and other things we've talked about in uh, in the show notes. Uh, also, while we're wrapping things up, I'd like to give uh, a thanks to Robert Lassoff, Chris K. Farm D, and Brandon Owen for leaving us reviews on iTunes. Uh, if you get a chance, regardless of what platform you listen to us on, go ahead and check out uh, our link for the, our iTunes uh, show and leave us a review there. Uh, if you just want to leave us a few stars, maybe five would be great. Um, and if you want to write something, that'd be even better. Uh, also, uh, this week you can check me out on, uh, episode 271 of the Royal Caribbean blog podcast. Uh, I was interviewed by Matt about my recent Mariner of the Seas solo cruise. Uh, so, and so you can check out his site, royalcaribbeanblog.com for that podcast. Uh, you could also check out our site, cruisehabit.com for a review of two of the activities I did on that cruise. Uh, I did the Sunset Harbor cruise in, uh, Nassau and then a tri dive while on board the Mariner of the Seas, which is where I got to play around with some scuba equipment. All good stuff. And I will tell you between that podcast and those articles, I really want to go book Mariner now, which is a problem because there are so many cruises I want to book. Um, so definitely go check those out and uh, and let us know uh, what you'd like to hear in the future. Uh, we appreciate everyone sticking with us for, uh, no, this one went long, but specialty dining, it's a big topic. So I'm glad, uh, glad we got to talk about it. I'm glad I had Rick here because he speaks about these things more eloquently than I do. I'm just food, good. <laughs> well, and also, uh, just in closing, if you have uh, any comments you want to write to us, suggestions for topics, any questions that you have, shoot us an email to podcast at cruisehabit.com, and we'll try to get to that on a future episode. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Scott. And Laura. From Orlando, friends of cruisehabit.com. Follow the guys on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to the Cruise Habit podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. Search Cruise Habit in the Periscope app to join the broadcasts from Ship and Shore. We'd love to talk ship with you real soon. Bon Bon voyage. voyage!